1: So, welcome to another edition of the Roker Report podcast, where Sunderland have gone back to their old ways, suffering their first defeat of the season to who else but Portsmouth. I'm your host for this week, Johnny Goldsmith. Joining me to dissect this weekend's game is the man behind the ratings, Jimmy Lawson. Still, still, still behind still, the ratings,
2: yesterday. yeah, yeah. Um, much to many people's chagrin, it's no one's <laughs> no one's permanently stolen the gig away from me yet. Yeah, um, people can visit the site now and and see what I had to say about Portsmouth and Sunderland.
1: Yes, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, oh, it's him. Oh, here we go. <laughs> that guy.
3: <laughs> nice.
1: And Richard Spate is also here. Hi, Richard.
3: You are all right, Johnny? You are all right, Jimmy? How yeah, are you good, doing mate. this morning? Good.
1: Yeah, well, uh, disappointed, really. Uh, waste of 10 quid for that game yesterday. Um,
3: <laughs> Definitely.
1: Yes. But, um, well, the, the first thing we'll talk about is, you know, at the start of the game, we had the positive that Jordan Willis was announced back in the starting lineup after suffering an injury last week. So... How relieved were you? Uh, were you both to see him in the starting eleven?
3: I mean, I was relieved. Um, just the fact that he's not out long term. But um, I think, like was said on the ratings pod, it was um, it was a bit of a surprise to see him straight back in there, especially when we got uh, Conor McLaughlin, who'd done a, a half decent job um, both at right back and right centre back. Um, and you know, when a lad's been been out with a with quite a heavy knock. Where he, he was about on um, on crutches and that you uh, you don't expect him to uh, to be thrown straight back in and I think Portsmouth um, noticed that and there was a lot of pressure on that back three to begin with and and Willis I think uh, well I mean I'm sure we'll go into but uh, that that first goal especially he looked all over the place so mm-hmm. um, yeah it was good to see he's not going to be out for the. Uh, long-term, but it, I'm not sure it was good to see him on the pitch uh, at the beginning of the match.
1: Yeah, well, uh, Jimmy, what do you think of that? We, we saw that first goal there, didn't we, where we you know clearly Kenny Jackett was aiming to target that side because the first goal comes from uh, Marcus Harness, who, uh, I mean, I think he's out of position really, Willis, but, you know, he's miles out of position, then Harness is there just to slot at home, and uh, I guess Kenny Jackett from the beginning target that side
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he he really struggled all game, really. Whether it was Portsmouth pressing him into mistakes, whether it was them giving him time on the ball and him looking to hit it long. He just didn't look like his normal self. Whether that was all down to him being rushed back too quickly, it's hard to tell. But yeah, I was was similar to Rich. I thought, oh, this is a nice added bonus. Willis' fit, brilliant. Um, Because he'd been, yeah, because like you said, he'd come back so quickly. And our defensive record had been so good, you're kind of thinking well if he's not there we'll we'll be okay and, and and maybe that was naivety and really maybe that was the mentality of the team as well the way the whole start of the game we were all over the shop. the way we were so complacent we were so we just weren't at it and I think maybe as fans as players as a coaching team there was just a level of complacency in our play yesterday and I think yeah we maybe took our defensive record for granted and Willis's performance or lack of performance maybe epitomized that?
3: I think one of the um one of the things with with Willis, and I think a lot of um the time when he, he was caught out of possession or looked under a lot of pressure might be down to the fact that he developed along that right flank or the you know, the right hand side of the pitch, really effective, well um understood partnerships with people like uh, People like Luke nine and Chris Maguire over the over the, the course of the beginning of the season, and that was all disrupted you know that the, that familiar interplay that we've seen over again um, where where Willis has has been covered by Luke nine at right wing back when he's gone forward. I don't think there was a, enough of that yesterday and I think I mean if you look at that first goal, you look how far up the pitch Lyndon Gooch was and the the vast kind of swathes of of space that they were able to run into. Um it did leave Willis exposed. Obviously, positionally I just thought he lost his man, to be frank. But there wasn't that cover there and there was a you know acres of space for the for them to run into. So um I do think an, an element of it goes to um you know the, the fact that the team overall just looked very disjointed.
2: Yeah it's it's the lack of intensity because it's the quick throw in Hume slow getting into position and that then has the knock-on effect where everyone's just 10 yards too far back and it was just it was really weird to see because I mean Portsmouth have like we said we've had this fake rivalry with them for two and a half years and yet you just didn't see any intensity out of our team that first half hour and it was just really bizarre watching it I don't really understand why the team was so unprepared for sort of the intensity and the speed of play that Portsmouth brought. And, yeah, I think, I think the Gooch point's a great one, that, that yeah, he's, he's not a right wing-back. He's not someone who naturally thinks to defend. And I'm sure we're going to come on to Luke 09, and I think there's something similar in the way that defenders build good habits, concentration. They always have to be natural pessimists, which is something I know that Lee Dixon and other pundits talk about. And if your first intention is always how close am I to goal, how close am I to scoring, those good habits just don't build up. And maybe we saw that with Gooch for the first goal. The other thing I'd add as well with Willis just quickly is, I kind of think as much as the injury ultimately played a part, I thought Rich made a great point about position rotation. I do kind of think that's who he is. I think there was a lot of fears, Gav's Gav's talked about this, that our best young players would go. And him and O nine 9 were the two that, that got brought up. I kind of think that, that maybe his lack of technical ability, his lack of calmness on the ball in those situations, are why maybe the bottom half of the championship teams looked at Willis and thought, actually, maybe this isn't the guy I want to spend that money on and maybe that's just his limitations as a player as well. So whilst obviously the injury was a factor, I'm not sure... I'm not sure it's it's totally fair to admonish him from blame. I think we saw some of his limitations as a ball player in the game as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a reason why I think that he's at this level and not the next level. You know. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But I've noticed something about Sunderland is whenever we do concede, uh, obviously hasn't been many times this season. We always concede seems to be in the first ten minutes. So why is that? Would you say? Yeah, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but but to me, it
2: just it just keeps on coming back to a complacency from the good start we'd had I feel like it was a team that started to believe its own hype a bit I mean mm-hmm. because it was I can remember Hume doing it I can remember Gooch doing it and 9 doing it all giving away the ball in our own half before the goal and it's it just I don't know if I don't know why our concentration levels weren't where they should have been and, and the best explanation I can come up with is that it was a team that were ahead of Portsmouth in the league with a game in hand that didn't really fully sort of appreciate the magnitude of yesterday's game. I, I really can't come up with a better reason than that.
3: Yes. I think we've got to give credit to Portsmouth mm. as well, though. You know, they, they really did come out of the traps, um, you know, really well and put us under pressure. And they exploited, all the way through, especially in that first half, they were exploiting the obvious weaknesses in the side. You saw when when the strikers were, you know, um, you know their positioning was getting themselves lined up against 0 9 at the back post. You know, often they were either side of O nine, nine, giving him a choice, making Bailey right, make a choice, um, and and just exposing, I think, a little bit of the naivety at the back. And the pressing was really good. So I mean, you know, they're not they're not a shabby side, Portsmouth. are always going to be they're always going um, to be there and thereabouts in this league. Uh, what was just disappointing, from my point of view, was we didn't seem to take account of that. Um and that to be frank is is down to Parkinson as much as, as the as the lads he puts on the pitch, you know, um if he throws Willis back in, if he throws it, it keeps uh Luke O'Neill on uh, left centre back, then then Kenny Jack is gonna go right. Look, he, he is the uh, he has your weaknesses. You know, you got Bailey Wright in the middle who was as consistent, I think, as as he could have been in that performance. Um who you know he put in some great block tackles. There was one in the early on in the first half where I thought, hey, you've you've got John Marcus here, but there was a, there was a player either side of him who, who looked shaky, and and they just they took advantage of that really well. So I, you know, it's, there's always two there's always two teams on the park, and it's not always down to. Absolutely, you know, mistakes that that Sunderland are making. You know, they're exploiting them as well in that league. One, you're going to get mistakes, and you're going to give the ball away in your own half. Um, but their pressing was really good, and I think that might account for the that that kind of vulnerability that we've got in the first ten minutes. Is that that is when teams have got the energy to keep to press like that. Obviously, they're not able to do it all the way through the game, um, and and so that is when we're vulnerable. And hopefully, parts will take that on board, and 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 that'll be something that we. Um, we kind of eliminate in the in the upcoming couple of games.
2: I think I think that's a great point. That's a really important point. That the other thing as well, first ten minutes that just leapt out at me. It was the speed of the passing. Compare them to to Crew and Swindon. It was how quickly they could get to front and back and, mm-hmm. and be direct. And we we're not talking sort of long balls over the top. We're talking them firing balls into their two forwards, getting out on the turn. And you could tell in, I'm sure we'll come on to later in greater detail, where we found out versus was it a bad day at the office. But I think one thing they were able to exploit that we've not really seen this season is just how quickly they could get out in transition. It was one or two passes into their forwards who were quick and good and technical and comfortable in half spaces. And you just don't see that much at League One. There's not many teams that have been able to beat our press so easily. I mean, you can tell that the club were... We're proud of how we've pressed in recent games because Frankie Francis mentioned it about 10 million times on the commentary. That's clearly been a point of emphasis and something they're proud of. And Portsmouth Mm -hmm. just dealt with it easily. Part of that, I think, was they got the early goal, which settled everyone down, meant that their midfielders would try a few more risky passes. Maybe they wouldn't try at 1-0 down or at 0-0, and that obviously helped. But yeah, no, they were a level up. They were good today. And I mean, doing a bit of digging, looking at some of their underlying numbers going into the game, as much as their fans are unhappy, as much as there's frustration around the club, there were a couple of nil-nil draws and games that they dominated away from being top of the league, so they're they're a good team. And as disappointed as yesterday was from a Sun's perspective, it is important to remember that.
1: Yeah, and um, we actually shocked. I think we shocked the fans by uh, scoring not too long after uh, Portsmouth <laughs> scored. Charlie Wake scoring after ten minutes, and uh, that ball actually, I thought it was going to be uh, signaled for the ball being out when he crossed it in. Um, it did look very very close.
3: To being out. So I didn't think it had gone out. I thought mm-hmm. it was one of those, I think uh, Wilf Zaha did one for uh, Crystal Palace yesterday as well, where he kind of, he, he, you know, the whole, the ball has to cross the whole line. And I don't think it had.
0: Mm-hmm. And to be
3: fair to, to Hume, you know, he made that, he made that goal. It was yeah. basically all his work. And, um, and, and yeah, and Charlie White, to be fair, it was a, it was a lovely finish. You know, he let yeah. it go across yeah. his body and, 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 and and hit it pretty well. Obviously, it wasn't far out, but he got himself in that position, and it was, that was nice to see. It's actually the kind of goal that uh, we've been talking about. How Will Grigg doesn't get those uh, chances put along the floor, cutbacks uh, from the byline inside the box, where a goal po- poacher's is gonna be, and he got himself in the position. He let the ball go across. So it was it, it, it was nice uh, technique from from Charlie White, and and I think again, as was said on the on the ratings pod, at that point. I was quite optimistic about the game. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it would it wasn't a uh, a bad thing that we'd conceded actually because I thought um in the run up to the game I was thinking well what we what we probably need is a team to have a go at us to create that space so that we can counter attack and, and move the ball forward quickly uh, rather than being kind of uh, knocking the ball in front of their back their their back line and, and never getting through like we've had against some of the maybe lesser teams in the division. So yeah, it, it at that point in the game, I was quite optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. But we really didn't get going again after that, did
1: we? Yeah, I think it was a complacency again, back to the way it was before the game started. And Grant Ledbetter, who's been arguably our best player for the last few games, uh, it's just such a shame that of all people, of all people to make that terrible pass, which led to John Marquis scoring Pompey's second, uh, You know, had to be Grant Ledbetter of all people. It was just, it was a shame, that really.
2: Yeah, and it, it was such an important time in the game to, to get to watch... Rich sort of said it you think we've taken our punch in the face, now let's get back up and go. We know we're in a real game here, let's 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 get at it. And obviously Ledbit is trying to calm things down, he's trying to keep things simple. And it's it's yeah, it's complacency, it's a lack of concentration, it's uh oh okay, okay, this game's been quite intense. I'm, I can relax now, I've got the ball, good possession, under no pressure. 30 yards from goal. I'm just going to play a simple pass and reset and we can build an attack. Let's just kill the energy out of the game and relax. And yeah, yeah, he makes an awful mistake and then we're right up against it, right up against it again. But it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we just, we just weren't properly prepared for the opposition we were up against yesterday. Mm. And I think that goal typified it.
1: If I look at that goal, though, you see he's completely unmarked, uh, the guy on the left. You, you know, he could have passed to the guy on the wing and mm-hmm. I feel like he'd done the hardest pass he could have done.
3: Well, that was what I was going to say, Johnny, actually, is he, he had Luke O'Neill as an option who was standing on the byline um, and, and chose not to pass to him, which I thought was a, a really strange decision on Grant's part. But what it did expose at that point, obviously, you're, you're going to get your defensive midfielder or you, you kind of play-maker midfielder, um, giving the ball away now and again. He didn't look up. I think if you no. if you look at the replay, he just obviously he, he didn't look up and he and he and he played a silly ball. But the shape of the team at that point couldn't just wasn't there to 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 cope with it. You you had you basically your central defence on the left hand side of the pitch again, and it were easy to pick their way through once you know that that three was was then a two. Um, and again, I, I just think it highlights the. The strange kind of disjointedness of the of the system and how the square pegs in round holes in the end was was causing bigger problems than than just kind of um n- nervousness it was i th- I think it undermined the whole kind of system that has worked really well over the last few weeks, and Led didn't look like he knew what the op- the right option to take was at that point, and he's a very experienced footballer so um yeah again i just thought it was symptomatic of the of the strange selection of putting or keeping people in positions where emergency positions or throwing people back in when we don't necessarily need to and 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 how that affects every position further up the pitch i'm sure we'll come to talk about that but i do think it's important to to recognize how you know having the wrong players in the wrong place on the pitch can impact further, you know, further afield, and 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 how that has a knock-on effect on everyone's performance. Because I think one of the things that's been consistent from Jimmy's ratings, from the from the ratings pod yesterday, and from most people's reaction, um, was how really it was a a, a bad team performance. You can go through each individual, but everyone's performance was two mm-hmm. or three uh, marks below, below what it has been.
1: Yeah, I didn't really see any player that I could go, oh, he's at least he's trying or you know, he's the standout player for in this team. Um, but to be honest, the second half comes and honestly, I don't really remember much of the second half. Um, really. There was nothing <laughs> of note that I could talk about apart from the penalty, but before we get to that, was there anything
3: that stood out to you at all? Just those first 5 minutes where we we looked like a different side. Mhm. would obviously given them a bollock at half time and 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 they'd come out and they looked like Sunderland a couple of weeks ago, and and um, so that you know that period. As I, I wrote in my notes, like we did, we did more in the first five minutes than we had in the in of the second half than we had in the first half overall. But then that just dropped off again, and I'm not quite sure what was the cause of that.
2: Yeah, no, all I'd really add is just like you, Johnny. There's not many standout moments. I remember. Danny Collins on the commentary, I think it might have been around 60 minute marks, 65 minute marks, saying, ah yeah, it looks like Portsmouth have weathered a storm here. And unfortunately, he was he was absolutely on the money. I mean, yeah, we really created very little in the second half. My main sort of takeaway from the period before Luke's sending off from kickoff was just how little we created, how little we did. Yeah, we were just really toothless, and that's that's really going to be the challenge. I I still believe in Parkinson's defensive system. To a certain degree, I still think that the three the three five two sets us up very well to keep a clean sheet in most games. The press didn't work yesterday. For the most part it has. I think it will work against most teams outside of that sort of top eight, top ten bracket, maybe even outside of the top six, top four bracket. But it's it's another game where we've become a very good front running team under Phil Parkinson. I think We've got quite a big sample size that suggests that now, that since things clicked, when we go 1-0 up, we're generally quite hard to beat. But it's, it's a real problem. Where are the goals coming from? What can we do to react to games? When teams can sit back against us, who's going to create that bit of magic? If it's not Chris Maguire, who is it? Do we have enough different ways of playing to create chances? I think that's the real takeaway for me, is that all the sort of worst fears about Parkinson were kind of exposed in that sort of 30 40 minute period
1: mm-hmm. yes and the as I say we do get the penalty well Luke nine takes down the player and I mean I've got no complaints to me that's a penalty all day long um yeah
3: that's it really and you know send it off as well so yeah I mean yeah it on that he's kind of look he was already on a yellow mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It, <laughs> the the referee could just give him another yellow and send him off and it's probably uh uh done us, done us a favor there because I think it's only one match ban rather than three.
1: Mm-hmm. yes and like the the penalty you know put away pretty easily by John Marquis and a 3-1 victory for them uh, Sunderland I've noticed whenever we're not winning a game we tend to get frustrated and usually there's a player who's sent off I think Bristol Rovers we had a player sent off I think we had a player sent off against Charlton as well and then another mm-hmm. player sent off in a game where we aren't winning so Sunderland have this annoying habit of doing that when we aren't winning games to so just get so frustrated that we get a red card
2: I tend to agree with Danny Collins, actually. He, on the commentary again, sort of said they're three very different red cards in very different circumstances. And I don't think it's part of a wider trend of a problem within the team. I think I think you could say Max Power not being able to stay on the pitch two years ago was maybe sort of indicative of a discipline problem. Chris McGuire acting like a madman early in his Sunderland career against Oxford. Mm-hmm. I generally think that they're three very different situations. You could argue that with the benefit of hindsight, Flanagan's red's a good red because we got a point at Charlton. If he doesn't make that foul, one of their strikers is going through on goal and we could lose that game 1-0. You know, 9-1 yesterday, it it was it was dumb, but I think it was positional naivety. He's a guy who I mean you watch him play right wing back and he he grabs all the time. Like he's got his trademark foul. I don't know if you've noticed this. He's done it maybe three or four times where he falls over and the other team are on a counter-attack and he'll pull back their full-back on the referee's blind side. He he loves he's, he's a rascal. He loves trying to get away with stuff. And just because he was playing at centre-back and because he was in the box, it, it was a time where he had to not do that because... If he does that to Marcus Harness on the wing, Marcus Harness giving him an elbow, he's he's shoulder barging him and he's keeping on going to try and get across him because it's in the box. It's it's risk versus reward. Harness is like, well, I'm going down here. This is a penalty. What are you doing? It it was a naive mistake from a guy who, like Rich said, was playing in a position that's well alien to him prior to two weeks ago.
1: Is this the chance now for someone, for us to bring in the youth players who we've been talking about for a long time in pre-season? We've made some mistakes and... I feel like Parkinson's very stubborn and will just stick to the same team. But besides, obviously, or nine. But surely this is a chance now to bring in somebody else who's been, you know, knocking on the door of the first team or t- trying to knock on that door.
3: I think, um, I think Power and Skowen's positions in the and the team are quite vulnerable. Um, and you know, with with um, Neil and Jack Diamond, um, you've got. Players who could potentially fill those roles, if he's going to persist with with uh, Chris Maguire playing up almost as a as a number ten, um, and persist with playing Charlie White as well, then I if if we're gonna bring those two in, then I, I can only see uh, Power and and scowan's positions being up for grabs. Really, other than I, I mean, personally, I'd I'd like to see uh, Benji Kimbioka be at least on the bench, at least giving us that option to just change the style of play and to give opposition something that they hadn't maybe planned for to to deal with and to disrupt the the centre backs because to be frank I mean although like I said Charlie's finish was was fantastic yesterday. His his, his all round play was just as it as it always is, which is he's he's kind of he's working. He's holding the ball up. He's dropping deep, and when he does drop deep and lays the ball off, he can actually look pretty classy at times. But overall, he's not going to stretch a team, and he's not going to give you an option for a, for a, a through ball where he's hanging on the shoulder of a defender. He's not playing on the half turn. He's playing with his he's playing facing the facing the play. Um. And and so I think we need that injection of just something slightly different. I'm, I'm really glad you brought up
2: power, Rich, because it's it's a real mystery to me. Like, most of the stuff that we're doing at the moment, I can see some form of logic in it. Like, like Parkinson said yesterday, he likes Wyke because of his physicality and his pressing. I think that's pretty obvious in the way we play. I don't quite get why he's playing power in this sort of hybrid inside left midfield role this season I'm not quite sure what the strength is is it is it that he's mobile and he can close people down and it's defending from the front I know Max Power talked about on the Sun and Unfiltered podcast wanting to get forward wanting to contribute more goals wanting to showcase his, his ability there but that's that's true of all midfielders all, all midfielders want to be number 10s because it's the fun part some of them aren't good enough to do that and he's obviously our captain, he's someone who's embraced that role, he's someone who likes being a leader, he's someone who's willing to dish out. He's generally, obviously the tone wasn't right yesterday, but generally since he's had the armband, he's been pretty good at sort of setting standards of of, of holding people to account in a way that maybe we didn't see at first in League One. So I, I understand why he's got the armband, I understand his importance, but I just, I don't really get the role, I don't really get... What he's meant to be offering in an attacking sense, and why why we've gone away from sort of playing two central midfielders to try and shoehorn him into this role, because it feels like this change in system has been made with him in mind, and I just don't fully get it. I'm wondering if you guys could help me out on that, really.
3: What do you think, Richard? Um, yeah, I mean, in previous matches, he's he's supported Denver Hume quite well, Max mm. Power, in terms of providing that that bit of cover. Um, when he has been in that kind of it's not really an inside left position mm. is it i think it's more of an inside left position when 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 Lyndon Gooch has played there um, and yeah. and that's that's what i mean about these shoving the kind of round pegs into the square holes and the effect that that has further mm. up the up the side because i'd much rather Lyndon Gooch was was sitting in front of the their back four trying to create stuff than than max power i mean yesterday there were one or two occasions i maybe it was just me picking up um uh, you know a a passage of play but when he had space to drive into in front of their back four and chose to to make a simple pass to somebody else where who who was in the same space he was rather than driving running at their defense maybe playing a a little one-two and getting through he's laying it off to Denver Hume and hoping Denver can do something down down the left and and get a ball in the box which is, is fine and Denver does that really well but it's about a variety of play and I think when you've got um, Maguire and Gooch rather than Scowan and 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 Power in those more advanced central midfield roles or inside forward roles, as whatever you want to call them, um, you've got much more chance of, that someone's going to crack one in from twenty-five yards out, and you've got people who are willing to play little one twos and clever balls into feet. But again, that that again knocks on further up the pitch, which is where really you want. A uh, uh, Will Grigg and a uh, and an Ian yeah, Other up there in order to deal with those um, little balls into feet in the box. Um, so again, it's just the disjointedness across the whole side, and I think Max. Is I think he plays really well in that lead bit role. I think actually when we were playing really well earlier in twenty twenty, he was in that lead bit kind of deep sit sit and role, dictating the player, moving the ball from from side to side quite effectively and breaking up play when when teams were attacking us on the brick. But I don't know. I, I I just feel that yeah, we 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 might have the right players on the pitch, but not necessarily in the right order.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I think they're trying to. I feel maybe they're trying to persist with Max Power in the hope that he becomes like a Lee Catamore kind of player, Um, which, you know, clearly that's not going to happen. But maybe there's something on the training pitch that he does that we don't see, and maybe that's why he's uh, the captain as well. Uh, th- there could be things that we just don't see about Max Power that that's why he is uh, the captain ahead of other players.
2: I think Rich nailed it with his performance yesterday. Cause I, I remember the same thing, sort of, It was in that period. It was in that period where nothing was happening. Two or three times, he gets the ball, he's, what, 25, 30 yards out, and he doesn't commit anyone. He doesn't run in to commit a defender and to play a pass, or he doesn't have a shot, or he doesn't play the tricky ball that gets us in behind. And I think it it was probably a confidence thing. I think it's probably him not being familiar in the position, but that is Dan Neal's position. That is sort of where... Where he's played for us in pre-season that is his position he looks really comfortable in those sort of tight spaces I mean Mm -hmm. where it more so than say even a Lyndon Gooch it's obviously where if he was ever fit we'd like to see Elliot Embleton I think to sort of move back to Johnny's original question that's where Parkinson has a real problem because if you look at our bench yesterday okay goalkeeper two defenders that's that's pretty standard I'd have preferred to have seen Jack Diamond on the bench with hindsight, given the way the game played out And Con McLaughlin. But I can understand why when McLaughlin's playing well and has played well recently, Parkinson didn't want to take him out with the 18. Dobson, our only other sen- senior central midfielder, obviously going to be on the bench. I think that was a given. But then you look at O'Brien, you look at Grigg and you look at Danny Graham. And they're all players who want to play inside that 18-yard box. They're all guys who see themselves as central strikers. And if you have those three taking up three spots on your bench, and okay, Parkinson brought on both Graham and Grigg in the game, you really limit your options. And I think Parkinson's been keeping those three on the bench or whichever one of the three, four strikers aren't playing on the bench because they're senior players. They're guys on a lot of money. They're guys he wants to keep happy. But there might come a point where one of them has to sit in the stands and we need Dan Neal on the bench or we need Benji Kimpioca on the bench. And it hasn't cost us up until yesterday, but I think that's something that he has to look at is, am I concentrating too much on squad harmony and shirking big decisions? It's going to be really interesting to see whether there's a reaction from yesterday's game or whether he dismisses it as a one-off and what sort of the construction of our bench is going forward. Because I think, yeah, I think those three or two are too similar and it's not all Parkinson's fault. It's partially the fault of bad squad construction over two and a half years, but it's, it's something that he's now got to worry about.
1: Would you say that this result yesterday was coming? Like obviously Sunderland's I don't know if I've I'm being the being the pessimist, someone fan that I am was like, well, wait till it comes up against Portsmouth, who seems to always have um the an ability to not lose to us, basically, apart from one game last season. But um I don't know. Maybe it's just me who saw that was thinking this is bound to happen at some point. We're gonna get found out by some team who, you know, are very good attacking wise.
2: I didn't. I'll 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 hold my hands up, I didn't. I was yeah. I was a believer, like it's it's very rare that, that well, under under Stuart Donald's ownership and, and really under the last few years of Ellis Short that I've I've been able to look at a sudden team and go, Oh, that seems to be working, that makes sense. So maybe maybe I was naive, maybe I was deliberately lying to myself, but I, I kind of looked at the way teams weren't even having shots on target against us in the last mm-hmm. five games and thought Oh, this is working. This is working. We've we've cracked it. We've we've got our code. We've got our, our magic ticket out of this league. So I was I was I was I was a bit stunned at yesterday. I think there were certain aspects that the good teams will be able to expose from the performance that we touched on. But yeah, for the most part, I was caught off guard by it. I thought we'd been playing well. I didn't really see any signs. The the one nitpick was, like we said, the lack of goals, the lack of chances we we're creating. But I
3: thought I thought we wanted something good. I was, yeah.
2: Not didn't see us one
3: coming at all, mate. Okay, Richard. I well, I, I predicted 3 0 before the game, so <laughs> which is why I don't bet. Um, because I'm absolutely awful at, at calling, a, calling a game before I've seen the team sheet, especially. Uh, but um, yeah, I was had a confidence, like I said, I thought we were, we were due a performance where we actually put the ball in the back of the net a few times. Um, I thought that, you know, everything that we've looked at and all of the analysis and all of the stats show how solid our defence had been. And so I couldn't have been more wrong, which uh, probably means to listen to anything I've got to say about what's going to come up on Tuesday either. <laughs> 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 but, um, but yeah, it, it it was a surprise. But then when you were watching the game, it wasn't a surprise that we mm. got beat mm. at all. I thought it was a fair reflection, the scoreline of, mm. of, of, of the game. So, again, you got to give Pompey, I know we hate it, but we got to give Pompey a bit of credit, really, for, for doing us, really, mm-hmm. if they've come up and they've, they've properly done us. Just a quick one on Pompey.
2: I always think of them as the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme. I kind of look at them as, like, almost our equals. Like, I remember how close those games were, sort of, in the playoffs, the, the fact that they beat us on pens. I always think man for man, are about as good as them. So whenever we play them, I always think we're going to get a close game. I mean, they've turned us over twice in a row now, so maybe I'm going to have to revise that. But I, I always go into the Portsmouth game thinking it's going to be tight. If we get the first goal, we've got a good chance of winning it. Obviously wasn't the case.
1: Yes. Well, we move on. As uh, Bailey Wright said in his interview, dust ourselves down and move on to the next game. <laughs> so, Rochdale away next. Um, personally, I don't think it makes much difference if it's home or away, since there aren't any fans. But they are on a good run, so what what do we think heading into this game? You know, they're near the bottom half of the table, they're in the bottom uh, seven or eight in the table, I think, but still two games where they've won. Um, Should we be uh, concerned about this game?
3: Well, they've had an up and down season, haven't they, really? Yeah. Um, But it's starting to come good for them, and I think any team that can go away to Shrewsbury and come away with a result is, is doing all right, because it's a difficult place to go i know you've just said it doesn't really matter with the the fans not there but um you know we've found it a hard a hard slog the games there the last couple of seasons and they've usually got a competitive side uh they had 20 shots against them yesterday and Kit and only conceded one oh. and uh and and they they obviously they were under the cosh quite a lot um so it's going to be a funny one really I mean, when I've looked into them, they've got quite a young defence. They've got a couple of low knees in their defence. A lad, uh, Bowler from Arsenal, a lad, uh, Roberts from Brighton, who are both like like 18, 21. And I think, really, we should be, you know, putting teams with two kids at the back uh, to the sword. But they're they're no mugs. I think they've got some decent players going forward as well. Drew against Portsmouth, so, so, I mean... uh, You'd you'd hope we'd win, but like it's said, never follow what I say in terms of your your hackers or your bets, because <laughs> I, I think I've only ever won one bet in my entire life.
1: <laughs> well, what do you think, Jimmy?
3: I think we should win. I think we
2: should win quite comfortably. They're very similar to, to Crewe and Swindon, who we recently played, in that they like to play out from the back. They're all about their short pass in their possession game. But realistically, they were they were one of the favourites for relegation before the season started. They've had an up and down year, and it's 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 really one where we should be targeting three points. We've had our difficulties with them in the past. To be fair, both wins at their place the last two years were slightly fortuitous. So. Hopefully our team will have evolved and, and like Rich said, young team, probably one of the more skinned teams in the league, smaller teams in the league. It's, it's a really good chance for us to bounce back. We've just got to hope our mentality is right and that we really get at them from the first whistle.
1: So one of the changes that will have to be made in the team is Luke 09. So what do we think of who's going to take his place?
3: Well, it's got to be Flanagan really, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and, that, and that I think should bring back the, some of the balance yeah, it's not to single out Luke, um, who was, you know, doing a job he's been asked to do, um, but it should bring some balance back to the side, and, and hopefully, um, we regain that kind of the defensive solidity and that and that base to build from, which which will obviously um, hopefully translate into into dominating the game again, because that's what we have done against these middle and lower sides is really dominate. Possession really dominant, um, you know, not giving them a sniff, um, which can be quite demoralising. I think we just need to do that. We need to stamp our authority on it. Yeah, I'm going to be optimistic,
1: and I'm going to say this is just a little blip in the in the road, and we'll, we'll uh, get back to winning ways on Tuesday. Uh, two consecutive away games coming up against uh, Rochdale and then Gillingham, but uh, we'll worry about Gillingham at a later date. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, any. Do uh, we do any score predictions here? I mean, I would say one or two nil probably is
3: what you expect. Okay, same two 0 Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one because I think they have got some some decent quality going forward, and I think um yeah, I th- I think we can't expect to keep clean sheets every week, mm-hmm. so um so two one for me. Okay, uh, well that's all just about it for the games. Uh, we'll move
1: on to Jim Rodwell making some comments about the current ownership situation and it's the same phrase that we've heard numerous times we're in a period of exclusivity um so what do we make of this obviously as i say it's a it's a phrase that's been used for quite extensively for the last few weeks but do we see anything true to that anything going to happen soon
3: there's clearly still a deal on the table isn't there Mm -hmm. um i think uh not to to give give donald too much slack but it's been very difficult period in which to sell a football club that isn't just about to go out of business obviously charlton and um wigan have have changed hands for not very much money Mm -hmm. at the points that they're very close to going into administration which is a, a very different situation from from what we're in and the asking price that stuart donald seems to put on the club of you know well over thirty million quid is 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 a different scale altogether from a few million quid it cost to take over Wigan. So I mean, if you're going to get serious investors to come in, they want to know what the business um business model is going to be and the business environment's going to be. And I think until there's an EFL bailout um of one sort or another, then it's going to be difficult to unlock that deal and get it over the line. Um, it seems to be the noises come in. Coming out in the background is that um, that deal is really important. That 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 bailout deal is really important. We saw Rod, Rodwell go on uh, on Sky News to uh, give his tacit support to the the kind of the Project Big Picture stuff. Obviously, he's rolled back a little bit on that. And if you look at the full interview, it wasn't he wasn't giving it his whole heart of support. Um, but one thing is filter. A challenge in both the Sky interview and the the uh, unfiltered podcast interview is the, the the power grab by the top six in the Premier League. And while our club isn't actively challenging that, fans are going to be very very skeptical of them because I think fan groups across across the the, the leagues that is the the thing that we cannot tolerate is six teams dictating the future of English football for the next. However many decades. Um, mm. and and their owners and their billionaire owners being the ones who who shape the game. Um and if our owners are willing to sacrifice the status of our club, which is essentially what they're doing, they're saying that Tottenham Hotspur are a, you know, class above what Sunderland are, which I don't think many many Sunderland fans would necessarily accept. Um so yeah, it, it it's a difficult one in terms of the ownership. I don't know what, what you think about it, but from my understanding, there's something there, but it's not it's not possible to unlock it right now.
1: I think when I've looked at that and I feel like sometimes Stuart Donald will say something, and there's been many things said that's never happened, so I'm always sceptical about when he's talked about a takeover because I think sometimes owners of clubs do that to keep the fans quiet as well. Um, and I, do note, I did notice Jim Rodwell in this uh, podcast, he did say... The the party we're in exclusivity with has shown us proof of funds, and they're the only people to actually do so. Mm -hmm. I I wondered if that was a a dig at a certain someone who claims to be close to taking over Sunderland. (laughs) You know, it It it, might be. (laughs) um, Mm. But to pay devil's advocate, you know, like, what if he is part of that? I mean, I don't think he is, but like, there's not been anything from the club outright to say this guy's got nothing to do with Sunderland's new. Take over.
3: There's one crucial piece of information that I do keep repeating to people that, you know, if the club are going to sell to somebody, they're going to have to make sure that this deal can get across the line at the EFL and the owner and director's test. And we've seen latterly and very belatedly that the EFL have actually started to be a bit more picky in terms of how and who they let through that test somebody who was described in court as an unreliable witness who who was more interested in promoting themselves and talking in the third person than telling the truth by a judge. With a business track record, that doesn't exist.
0: (laughs) Um,
3: He's not going to get through. So, I mean, it's nice speculation, but I'm as likely to go and buy his team West Ham as he is to buy Sunderland (laughs) I can go and buy myself a retro shirt I I mean I can't get on a train because I'm in Wales and I'm locked down but I could have got on a train down to London went and stood outside the London Stadium with a can of my own brand of of pop and said I'm buying the club and I'd have as much credibility as he does actually I might have more because probably if you look back at my tax records my company might have actually made some money at some point (laughs) over the last couple of years so you know (laughs) but not enough to buy a football club of the scale of mm-hmm. Sunderland Football Club. So I just think, it's been said loads of times, he's playing us. And I'm really, yeah. um, this is as much as I want to say about him. So Jimmy, I'm sorry I jumped in on that. That's absolutely No, no all good. All good. I liked it. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, um, it, it sounds promising. It sounds promising. For once, Jim Rodwell, he, he said the right things. It, it, it sounds promising. I think Johnny sort of intimated we've been here before, kind of, with Mark Campbell. It's it's a good start. It's a good start. Him going on the record and saying that's a good start, but that's probably all it is at this point, fingers crossed that we can move on and end up with good owners, I think. The only other thing I'd mention is it can always get worse. I mean Wigan Athletic, Mm -hmm. Barry it it can always get worse. So let's be sceptical. Let's more so than we were last time and and fingers crossed it goes through.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he said this about the ownership, and they're talking to somebody. And that's if that's what he's saying. Then I guess we we'll just have to trust what he's saying and hope that uh, that comes to fruition in the next few months. Um, but it could be someone completely out of nowhere, or maybe it's still these American um, Dell owners. I, I doubt it, but maybe, maybe there's something there. Um, but yeah, like we'll find out soon. I hope. I guess that's the best, mm-hmm. best I can do. But um, also, the we uh, have got. Something about the women's team as well, uh, Richard?
3: Yeah, it's just come out uh, this morning. It's recording on Sunday morning ahead of the the, the, the away game at um, West Brom this afternoon. Um, And yeah, after we've been talking about it and a lot of fans have been on social media about the the fact that we, we haven't seen anything of the women's team in terms of video and certainly not fans being let in into the ground uh, over the last few days. Uh, I spoke to Chris Waters uh, earlier in the week about this as in my role with uh, Red and White Army as, as rep, rock Reports co rep. rep. Um, and they've, they've, they've gone ahead and they're going to be putting video highlights out today, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um they've 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 started to do pre match interviews with Mel Ray, um and and the players as well. Again, which is really, really welcome to see. I mean, we've been trying to up our coverage from Rock Report's end. Um, but you know, we we want the club to to demonstrate their commitment to mm-hmm. to the lasses and and so the 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 video highlights is a good first step. We've also asked about letting fans in because Newcastle and Middlesbrough are able to do it and we're not and there's there are young kids being taken along to see Middlesbrough and Newcastle rather than Sunderland and we don't want them getting used to supporting teams playing (laughs) in black and white and that's a really big thing you know even if it's just a a hundred uh, young boys and girls from Sunderland who are are going and watching that that's a a hundred families further down the line who are going to have you know mixed loyalties maybe we don't want that so there's still a bit of work for them to do and I'm still waiting. I mean, Chris only works a couple of days a week. We'll we'll find out next week about uh letting fans in and, and some of the other bits and pieces. But it's a really good it's really good to see that they're taking the lasses seriously um eventually, you know. Uh and and, and that's good. And there has been a little bit of an improvement in the relationship between the fan groups and, and the club, the you know, the people running the club rather than the, the than the owners. So um which is also positive to see because we don't want to be at each other's throats. You don't want it to be an acrimonious relationship. You want you want you want everyone pulling in the same direction, and hopefully with new ownership, we'll we'll take that to the next level.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's just about it for today's edition of the Rock Report podcast. Uh, we have, as I say, two games from now until next week when we'll be recording another one so hopefully the six points picked up by then or maybe f- hopefully four <laughs> at six, least six. Six, six, six. Is what for. 6 yes absolutely <laughs> but uh yes thank you richard for joining me today yeah cheers yeah no worries johnny no worries and thanks jimmy as well cheers johnny good to be on yeah as usual thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to the Rope report podcast we'll see you again soon